So we have worship week this week. So we're going to take a little detour from what we've been learning on building a structure, mission and vision, goals, plans, and steps. Do you remember that? That was a good teaching. We're going to finish it. I want to, um, why don't you turn to Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to go through quite a few verses, and um, you may have already heard some of these, uh, or you will hear these later on this week. Um, This is our call to worship, in Exodus 19, verse 5, is the Lord speaking through Moses, now then, if, you've indeed, if you indeed obey my voice, God says to the people, and keep my commandment, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me, everybody say, you shall be, a kingdom of priests. Yes, keep saying it, kingdom of priests. You shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses goes up on the mountain in Exodus 19, and God says, listen, this is what I want. I don't want a Levitical priesthood. I want a kingdom of priests. I want the whole kingdom to be priests. And So you tell the people that they will be my personal possession. Can you imagine being the personal possession of God? Moses, go down and tell the people, if they will obey my voice... They will be my personal possession. And they shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so Moses comes down from the mountain and he tells the, shares the, that message with the people. And in chapter 20, verse 18, this is the people's response. All the people received, I'm sorry, perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when they saw it, they trembled, and they stood at a distance. Everybody say, at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance. Everybody say, stood at a distance. While Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. And uh, this, is, this is a great, this is one of the great places, or tragic in a different sense. This is one of the tragic places of the Old Covenant. This is the reason why we ended up with 217 laws called Old Covenant. God said, Tell the people, if you will obey me, You will be to me my own possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. It was never God's intention to have one Levitical tribe that worshipped God and 11 tribes that worked. It was God's intention that he would have a whole kingdom of priests. So let's bring it into the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, and you probably know this well. Verse 4. Coming to him as living stones, everybody say living stones, which were rejected by men, but are choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. This is precious value then, is for those who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. A cornerstone of stumbling, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word. To this doom they were also appointed. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, think about this. Exodus 19, God said, Listen, Moses, tell the people, if they will obey my voice. What was the one condition? Obey my voice. 5,000 commandments? No. Obey my voice. If they will obey my voice, they will be to me my own possession. And they shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They shall be. Not they are. They shall be. The people said, listen, God scares us. You tell God. Listen, you tell us what God says and we will do it. God says, I want you to be. They said, we will do. And God says, oh, you want to do without a be? Okay, keep these rules. They, God said, all I need you to do is obey my voice. And they said, God's scary. We're afraid of him. We don't want to talk to God. We don't want a relationship with God. We'll have a relationship with you, Moses. You have a relationship with God. You tell us what he says, and we will obey. And God says, okay, this is what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to give them so many rules, they'll realize without the B, they can't do. And he gives them, you know, you think it's Ten Commandments. 217 rules. God said, keep these and you can have a relationship with me. And you know, Isaiah cries out hundreds of years later, thousands of years, 500 years before Christ, and he says, there's none righteous, not even one. But God's intention was never to have a people that would worship him or a person that would worship him or that there would even be one you know, person that would, God would love. His intention was that there would be a whole kingdom of people who were invited in. You would be my own possession. So Peter brings us into the new covenant. He says, back here in the days of Moses, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You shall be. And Peter says, and you are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once weren't even a people, but now you are the people of God. That's who you are. You are the people of God. And you're a whole royal priesthood. How many of you understand that the, the privilege we have, not just on Sundays, how many of you understand that you, you, what happens on Sundays, like when the music starts, uh, I don't like to reduce worship down to something that happens when the music starts because worship isn't something you do, it's something you are. John chapter uh, 4 verse 20, Jesus is having this interaction with the woman at the well. You know the story well. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, she says, but you say... Then in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, woman, believe me, 
and hours coming were neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem where they worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvations from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now it is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everybody say, in spirit, spirit. and in truth. Everybody say, truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Two things I want to pull out of this passage. First of all, the Father doesn't seek worship. The Father seeks worshipers. There's a big difference. Worship is an, is, worship can be an act. It can be a show. It can be, it can be, it can be something you do. The Father's not looking for something you do. That's what they were doing in Exodus 20. Tell us what to do. The Father's not looking for doers. In this sense, obviously you just preached a message about you were created for good works in Christ Jesus. This is, you understand, um, this is a different context right now. In worship, the Father is not looking for somebody who does, He's looking for someone who is. And it says He's we're looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Two things pop out here. First one is in spirit. In other words, He's not looking for people who worship Him in soul. Now, how many of you know that your spirit, soul, and body all want to worship God? So when he says he's looking for people who worship him in spirit, it simply means this. He's not looking for the soul to lead worship. He's looking for the spirit to lead worship. He's not, it, it, it matters to God. Your soul matters to God. As we learned in, in 1 John where, where he says you know, that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. And so God cares about your soul. But your soul is not the worship leader of your triune being. Your spirit is. Which means this, God is pleased when you, when you have expressions of worship that don't feel emotionally good. What some would call hypocritical, God calls a sacrifice. So when you come into this place, and let's, we're use, we'll use this place, but, but I don't want to reduce it to this. When you come into this place and you lift up your hands and you don't feel like it, and that's when Paul says to Timothy, Lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. What's that mean? Without wrath. Don't get mad about it. Without doubting. Don't wonder what this does. When do you wonder that? When you don't feel like it. When I don't feel like it, I'm like, what good is this? Everybody's singing. I'm singing. They're singing because they're into it. I'm, not, I, I'm singing because I don't want people to think I'm you know, not holy or whatever. And, you know, and what needs to change? What happens in our lives when we're, 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 we're actually singing, you know, whatever song we're singing, and we're not into it. What needs to change? Well, let's talk about what doesn't need to change. You don't need to put your hands down. Because God likes that. He says, don't get mad about it. You don't need to stop singing. It's not your actions that are, that are wrong. What needs to change? My heart. Do, do I need to feel like it? No. In fact, when I don't feel like it, then it's a sacrifice of praise. I give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I give a sacrifice of praise. I'm actually, I'm actually, when David said this, when, um, in fact, we talked about this during the Moral Revolution Week, you know, or Purity Week, whatever you want to call it. You know, David said to the guy who, God said, listen, if you want to stop this plague, go down to this guy's house um, buy his land and build an altar. He gets there and the guy says to him, to David, he's rich. David, he's King David, what are you doing here? He says, I've come to buy your property. 
so I can build an altar and offer God a sacrifice. And he said, you can have the land. It's, it's yours for free. And this famous quote, you know, we've shared it many times in many contexts. He said, David says, far be it from me. Listen, I will buy the land for a price, for far be it from me that I would offer God something that cost me nothing. How many of you understand when you don't feel like it, it costs you something? Some of you are thinking, okay, then how can I be a hypocrite in worship? You can be a hypocrite in worship when your life is not worship to God. When you haven't offered your body as a living sacrifice and you come in here and sing songs that you don't live out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's when you're a hypocrite. It isn't because you don't feel like it that makes you a hypocrite. It's because you live like hell six days a week and sing like heaven on the seventh. That's what makes you a hypocrite. It doesn't make you a hypocrite that you don't feel like it Sunday morning or that you had a bad morning or that you, you know, whatever. It makes you a hypocrite when you, when you don't follow the king all week long and on Sunday you pretend you do. Or on Wednesday or whatever day it is. I don't even know what day it is today. But it's good. So we worship in spirit. The second thing is, and truth. Interesting, the word truth there had, it kind of has a double meaning. It, it, it means nothing hidden. It means nothing hidden. The actual Greek word means, truth means there, nothing hidden. It means when I come to God, I don't have secrets. You know, some of you are married, some of you are not. If you're going to have a good marriage, you're not going to have anything hidden. It isn't just that you see one another naked. That's part of something you should have in a marriage that you shouldn't have with anyone else. But that is actually, just if, if you will, that is a prophetic act for the, everything in marriage. There should be nothing hidden. I don't have a secret that I can't tell my spouse. I don't have secrets from God. Now, how many know God knows everything? <laughs> Adam, where are you? I'm hiding behind this leaf. That would be a problem. Because first of all, I have x-ray vision. And secondly, (laughs) I have found you. (laughs) Nothing hidden. Who can ascend the holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who are those who who, who see the Lord? He who has a pure heart. The pure in heart see God. And the point that that Jesus is making here is that worshipers are people who live in truth. Does it mean that you have your whole life together? No, it means that you're real. It's funny. Not only do I like you to be real, God likes you to be real. (laughs) Okay, good point, Chris. Romans 12.1. I'm not done yet. Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, sister, by the mercies of God, to present your what? Bodies. That's what I've done. As a living and holy sacrifice. How many know that your body is holy? This is so good. This is counterculture, anti-religion movement. 
I'm presenting my holy body. Not holy like holes. <laughs> holy like pure. My body is holy when I got born again. And I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. Listen to this. Which is your spiritual service of worship. Did you notice that offering my physical body is worship to God? Worship isn't something that you do on Sundays or you do here at school ministry. Worship is a lifestyle. So many leaders have reduced worship to an event, something that starts when the music begins. Selah. I think I told you, no, don't say law. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on my soul right now. All the things I'm thinking. Forgive thou servant. Okay. That was a good point I made. Um. Bless you. I hope it all came out. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I stopped teaching on worship for three years. I used to teach on worship in school. We Now we're taking a week to do this. I taught on worship for years here. And Bill taught on worship for years and years and years. In fact, I can say this, that 95% of everything I know about worship came from Bill. Like, this, this message is not original with me. This came from years, of his, this, these are his notes. He doesn't use notes, but I took them when he talked. <laughs> Stacks of them. This is Bill's message regurgitated through my sense of humor. But I stopped teaching on worship for three years. I mean, I didn't talk to anybody about it, didn't tell anybody about it. And, and the reason I did is because I felt like nothing anyone else was doing. This was just me. This is just my personal conviction. I want to make that clear. I, I didn't feel like anyone else was doing anything wrong. But I felt like I was reducing worship to something we did when the music started. And I, was, I, I didn't know how to solve that because I started to see in the through the rest of Scripture, that worship was actually a lifestyle, and that if you worked as a carpenter, that your that 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 your hammer was your instrument. That if you were a mother at home, that what you did with the children was music unto God was worship unto God. And I, and I started being so convicted that worship so transcended something that had to do with music that I didn't even want to teach on the different expressions that happen on a Sunday morning, because, not because I didn't believe in them, but because people walked out feeling like that was the, that was the pinnacle of worship was done in two in a two hour or an hour session on a in a school ministry meeting, or it's like you know we walk out and we're like, wasn't that great worship? And 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 I, I so started to grieve over the fact that the people we were leading 
were calling that worship, which wasn't a problem, but it was to the avoidance of leaving that what I did when I walked out of there was still worship. And I, I was so concerned that people were believing that worship was something that we did when the music started, instead of the expression of a life surrendered to God and a body that was given to God as holy unto God. And that everything I did, if I work at Burger King and I do it for God, that not only am I serving, but that is my sacrifice unto God, and He hears it as music. I'm going to be silly for a minute, and I'm going to exaggerate to make a point. If you could think about flipping burgers, creating a sound that turned into an album, that's how it felt to me. Like the noise of babies crying for a mother, and her comforting them, that sound was just as powerful as somebody who played the most beautiful had the most beautiful worship set with the most beautiful experience you've ever had. That a mother taking care of her child, the words that she spoke to comfort that child, the crying of the child, that's that all expressions of nothing hidden that God loves as worship. And I didn't want to take from this, but I didn't know how to talk about this without demeaning that. And so I struggle when we create dualistic sense of worship. Like, this is worship, and that is whatever else. I'm like, no, no, I'm a worshiper, and I can't do anything that isn't worship unless I violate the kingdom. And then I'm still worshiping, it's just the wrong God. I was created to worship. Like, I was created to worship. I wish I had more time, and I wish I would have brought the scriptures with me that, that, that outline this. But before Satan was called Satan or the devil, he was called Lucifer. It meant light bearer. And um, actually, in the, in the woman's book I just wrote, I, just, I did a chapter on Lucifer. But he was the light bearer, and most believe, and I laid out the scriptures why, most believe that he was the third archangel, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer, and that he was in charge of worship, and that in his body, there was literally musical instruments in his body. And that when he fell from heaven, O star of the morning, when he fell from heaven, God turned the responsibility over for worship to those who are in his image and in his likeness. And that's why in Luke chapter 4, which I do have here, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness with the devil, as you know, the final temptation in Luke 4, and actually it's in actually Matthew also, the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all this dominion and all of its glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. If you will worship before me, it will be yours. Isn't it amazing? The devil wants to take over the whole world, but he is willing, 
He is willing to sacrifice all of his dominion, all of the fame, all the fortune, everything he's doing in the world. The devil said to Jesus, if you will just worship me. I would propose to you that the war of the worlds is over who will be worshipped. And that you can't be neutral. And that humanism is the worship of yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 there, the apostles are having quite a heated debate. The Gentiles now have crossed over the firewall and into the kingdom. Before Acts 15, we had the church was basically Judaism with the Holy Spirit superimposed over. It was basically Jews who had received Jesus. Basically, they kept the laws of Moses and they believed in Jesus. That's, that was the basic first century, first ten years of the church. And then something happened, and you know what happened. Philip went down to Samaria. Samaria starts getting saved. They're not Jews. We have Peter at Cornelius' house. He sees this vision. What happened? the Holy Spirit breaks the firewall, or if you will, the iron curtain starts to fall down. And suddenly the Gentiles are coming to Christ. But these Gentiles are not American Gentiles. They're not European Gentiles. These Gentiles are Greeks. They believe in polytheism, multiple gods. And remember, the early church is rooted in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. So, and the Pharisees, the people who were once Pharisees and thought of as bad people in the days of Jesus, they have actually come into a place of leadership. Not all of them, but many of them received Christ. And people, so people who knew the law, who were leaders in, if you will, leaders in the church before they knew Christ, they received Jesus and they were now, many of the senior leaders in the church were Pharisees, not Pharisees in a bad way. Pharisees now, Holy Spirit Pharisees, if you will. You know, the, the, word, the word Pharisee was not inherently evil. It was, just, it was just wrong because they opposed Jesus. So many, you'll notice in the book of Acts, it says, and many Pharisees um, who, um, met the Lord, and they became leaders and teachers in the church. And so they had this big concern because the Gentiles who are getting saved don't know anything about the Old Testament. They don't know anything about the Bible. The only Bible that's written, of course, at this time is the Old Testament. And so, they, so thousands and thousands and thousands of Gentiles are getting saved to the place where the church became known as the way. Instead of calling it, you know, instead of calling it Judaism, instead of calling it, you know, the church, they called it the way. They had to rename the church because it could no longer be associated with Judaism because so many Gentiles were getting saved that there was more Gentiles than there were Jews. So they have this big meeting 
with all of the apostles, the important apostles, Paul comes, Barnabas, Peter, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, and they have this huge, if you will, meeting where probably people traveled for weeks to be there. And in the midst of trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles, should they get circumcised? Should they follow the laws of Moses? And so on and so forth. Peter, Paul, Paul stands up and he says, listen, you know, it's Paul and Silas, hey, you know, we just want to tell you what's happening. Miracles are happening. Everywhere we go, Gentiles are you know, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God's doing miracles among them. And Peter stands up and said, I went to Cornelius' house. Guys, you can't believe what happened. While I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did us. And James stands up. This is probably a several-day conversation that we're just seeing one little piece of. And he quotes this verse, which is very powerful. He says, verse 13, we'll, we'll start from verse 12. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating the signs, what signs and wonders God was doing among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking a people among the Gentiles, a people for his name. With these words, with these words the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, he quotes verse chapter in chapter 16, he quotes the book of uh, Amos 9, and it says this, After these things I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so all the rest of mankind might seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Now, how many of you understand the argument is over, should the Gentiles be part of the church, and how do they get in? And he pulls this scripture out and says, listen, the tabernacle of David's going to be restored, and the reason it's going to be restored is so that all that mankind might seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name. Are you with me? Are you bored? Okay. Now, here's a really interesting point. There were three places that housed God's presence in the Old Covenant, right? There was the Tabernacle of Moses. You with me? The Tabernacle of Moses. Why is it called the Tabernacle of Moses? Because Moses went up on a mountain, and he stayed there for 40 days, and God gave him the entire layout of the Tabernacle of Moses, right? I mean, I don't even know how he remembered the detail. It's incredible. What the priest should be dressed in how the priest should look, what they, the, you know, three levels to the, you know, they had the outer court, they had the holy place, the holy of holies, they had certain kinds of things in each of those levels. The priests can only come in once a year carrying blood, right? They, he, could, he had to wear um, a, a priestly garment, which was made out of linen, so he wouldn't sweat. There was, there was all, the, they had, he had to wash in a laver that was made out of mirrors, you see this whole prophetic thing happening. You know, you see Christ as in a mirror. And, and, and they, they tied a rope around the priest. He had to wear linen. If he sweat in the Holy of Holies, he died. Why? Because the whole, it was a whole depiction of how he came to Christ. 
We don't come to Christ with our works. So if the priest sweat, he was instantly killed because it was as if he had come under his own strength instead of God's strength. And they couldn't even go in to get him in the Holy of Holies. So they tied a rope around his butt. So if he fell dead, they would pull him out. And around his garments, they would have pomegranates and bells. Pomegranates and bells. A pomegranate, a bell, pomegranate, bell, rotating, I mean, alternating around his garment. Why? Because you need the fruit of the Spirit. And you need the gifts of the Spirit. We just, we're like clanging cymbals without the fruit of the Spirit in between the bells. You're just a clanging cymbal. And so this whole depiction of the tabernacle of Moses, it was not Moses' idea. Moses didn't have any say in what the tabernacle looked like. Who would minister in it? Anything. God gave him all of the people who would minister into it, in it. What they would do, how they could come into the holy place, how to pick the, the, the high priest who would come in once a year. Only once a year did somebody would someone come in to the Holy of Holies, which just was a, a room where the Ark of the Covenant was. Are you with me? And so they had this box they made. I, I don't want to demean the box. The, the, the box called the Ark of the Covenant was not a representative of God. It was where God was. I've heard people say, the Ark of the Covenant represented God. No, it didn't. It didn't represent God. It was God. I'm not saying the box was God. I'm saying God was in the box. It was such, do you understand, the law put God in a box. And so they did this for hundreds of years. And this was written in the law of Moses, which was the first five books of the Bible, right? This was the Bible. I don't know. We have only, we have a little bit of time. I, I, want, I want you to get this because this is, this is maybe the most important part. And so this was the tabernacle of Moses, okay? And then we'll fast forward for a minute. There was the temple of Solomon, which Solomon built, which was a permanent fixture. Are you with me? Okay, and, and there's a reason why I'm emphasizing this. The tabernacle of Moses, completely God's idea, depicted the Savior, the way you got into salvation, the way you received Christ. David gets this idea. There's the tabernacle of Moses on one side of Israel, which has the Ark of the Covenant in it. You have to get this. The Ark of the Covenant is the most important piece of furniture in the history of the world because it's where God lives in the Old Covenant. David, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is um, at Abinelik's house. David, when he starts to come into Zion, the city, David, the city of David, he says, we need the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of Jerusalem. And so he decides to take the Ark and move the Ark into a tent made out of porpoise skins. Now, you're like, well, what's the difference? Remember the Tabernacle Moses was also a tent, but it had three rooms. The Holy of Holies, 
the holy place, the outer court. Nobody came into the holy holies but the priests, which what made the holy of holies holy was the Ark of the Covenant, the box. Are you with me? Where God was. Okay, that's what made it special. Nobody could come before the Ark except for the priest once a year, bearing blood, hoping he doesn't die. It's not a job you wanted to draw the right straw. You didn't want to go in there. David says, we need to build a tabernacle. And he builds this tabernacle. And it's, it, it, for the sake of time, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 6. He builds this tabernacle. And he, he takes the, the ark from, from uh, Abinelik's house. And they begin this long march to... The tabernacle from the tabernacle from I'm sorry from Abinelik's house to the tabernacle of David, which he set up was just porpoise skins, and on they put the ark on an ox cart. Now, where did they get the idea for the ox cart? Remember when they were fighting the um, Philistines? The Philistines stole the ark of the covenant. Remember this, and they put it. And they all got hemorrhoids. It's in the Bible. I'm just telling you what happened. They got hemorrhoids and they, they're polytheists. So they're like, well, this is the God of hemorrhoids. And so they made golden hemorrhoids, which is kind of, kind of humorous. And they gave them to the, put them in the box. And every place the box went. So they sent the box from city to city. And every place the box went, the people of that city got hemorrhoids. So pretty soon they're like, ha, listen, we captured this box. We don't want this box. So they got a brand new ox cart and they put two oxen on the ox cart and they said, if this really is a god, you know, not the god because they didn't believe them, they believed in multiple gods. If this is really God, like if we're getting these hemorrhoids because God's cursing us, then this box would go back to Jerusalem by itself. So they put the ox cart, they took the ox cart, they put the Ark of the Covenant on the ox cart, and the ox turned around and went right back to Jerusalem on the ox cart. And of course the Philistines were happy because the hemorrhoids went away. (laughs) Well, one of the funny parts of this story that I forgot to tell you, if you don't know the story well, it's very humorous, you need to read it. But they they take the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the temple of their god. What is it? Uh, day god. And <laughs> they wake up the next morning and their god's on the ground. And they're like, well, that's weird. And I think they do that like three times. And finally, the last time their god falls down, his head falls off and his hands fall off. And they're like, we've got to get rid of this thing. Everybody's getting hemorrhoids. Or they just killed our god. <laughs> so... Um, so, so where was I? So David says, we need the ark, we need this ark, we need the presence of God, basically, in the tabernacle. And so they put the, they take a brand new ox cart, and they put the ark of the covenant on the ox cart, and they begin to take it to the city of God, the city of David. And when they get to the threatening floor, 
It's in Second uh, Samuel chapter six, verse one. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand. And David arose, and they went with all the people where they were with him to Belzer Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of God, the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark on a new cart that they might bring it to the from, uh, they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Yuza and Ohio, where the, the sons of Abinadab were leading the new cart, so they brought it the ark of God, from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ohio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the sons of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and so on and so forth. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yuza reached out toward the ark of, the, of God and took hold of it, for the, ark, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Yuza, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there. By the ark of God. This is really interesting. They're trying to get the ark of God to the tabernacle of David. And at the threshing floor of Nacon, it says that the ark was upset, like it hit a rock or something, started to tip over. And Yuza reached out to study the ark, and God struck him dead. Few things. Yuza was Abinadab's son. The ark had been at Abinadab's house, I think, for 40 years. How many know that when you get familiar with God, you're in danger? And he reached out to study the ark. How many of you know that when you try to control the presence of God, you're in trouble? If God wants to fall off his cart, let God fall off his cart. And it happened at the threshing floor of Nacon. You know what the threshing floor was. It's where they separate the wheat from the chaff. And they put the ark on a cart. How many of you know an ox cart is basically big wheels and boards? You didn't get that. Big wheels and boards. Church boards with big wheels on the church board. It was a joke. That wasn't funny because I had to tell you what it meant. And what happened was that the ark got upset by the oxen. God struck Yuza down, struck him dead. And they took the ark to Obed-Edom's house. And it was there for a very short time. And everything that Obed-Edom did prospered. Now David's really upset. He's mad at God. He's scared of God. And he's upset with Obed-Edom. <laughs> so Obed-Edom, everything, I mean, like, everything turns to gold at Obed-Edom's house. And David's like, i got to get the ark to the... And so David begins to research the Bible. In First Chronicles 15, he reads and he realizes, according to the Chronicles, he realizes, doesn't read Chronicles, Chronicles not written yet, but Chronicles chronicalizes, tells the story of David's process, that David realizes that the ark does not belong on a cart, but it belongs on the shoulders of the priests. 
Now, how many know what the Philistines get, can get away with? You cannot. And I put this, the ark on the shoulders of the priests, and they began to head towards the tabernacle. And David's dancing wildly, and they're making sounds of joy. <laughs> I think it's here. So it was that with the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands who went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obedim with joy. Everybody say joy. Because God was helping the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. Actually, the original language says they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams every step. And now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, and the singers, and the leader of the singers was with him. And David also wore an ephod of linen, Thus all of Israel, everybody say, thus all of Israel. All of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant with, uh, of the Lord with shouting, with the sounds of the horn, with trumpets, with loud sounding cymbals, with harps, and with lyres. And <clears throat> verse 28, thus all of Israel brought up the, um, I'm sorry, verse 29. And it happened when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, how many know that Michael was David's wife? But here she's described as the daughter of Saul instead of the wife of David. And it happened when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and celebrating, and she despised him in her heart. The next verse says, and she had no children from that day. What? What's happening? David is bringing up the Ark of the Covenant with singing, with dancing, with sounds of joy. All of Israel is bringing up the Ark with David. Where is Michael? All of Israel is bringing up the Ark of the Covenant with David. Where is Michael? Watching from the window. How many of you know that when you're not part of worship, (laughs) watching from a distance, I'll just let you figure out the rest. I want to finish with this part, just a few minutes. It says, in the last days, God said, in the last day, in the last days, I will rebuild the tabernacle. And you would think he would say the tabernacle of Moses, because the tabernacle of Moses was God's idea. The tabernacle of David was David's idea. He says, in the last days I'll raise up the tabernacle of David, I'll wall up its ruins, I'll raise up its breaches, so that all mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name. And we have this whole new picture of the church in that God says, in the midst of worship, people will be drawn to me. It's worship that opens up the heavens so that the Gentiles, the people who don't know the Lord, can actually come to God. That it, it, um, how do I say this? It's like we sometimes we're so afraid that we're going to, be so radical that it's going to blow people away. I propose to you that people are attracted to passion. That they're starving for something to give their life to. The, the, ark of, uh, the tabernacle of Moses, only the high priest could go in once a year. and He had to bring blood. He couldn't sweat. All the things I told you about and lots more that I didn't tell you about. In the tabernacle of Moses, on David, David takes the Ark of the Covenant and he tells all the priests, go in before the Ark. And remember, that's the Levitical priesthood, right? God wanted a kingdom of priests, but only the Levites became priests because 
of this restriction because the people didn't want to hear from God, right? David is not from the tabernacle. I'm sorry, David is not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah, which means praise. David goes in before the ark, and he begins to worship before the ark. There's only one chamber in the tabernacle of David. There's not the holy, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. There's only the holy of holies. And David sends all the priests in there. And you can understand, now, this, is, this is so hard to explain in three or four minutes. Do you understand the only Bible they had at that time was the five books of Moses? That's the only thing finished, at least that we know of. The only thing that we think was finished was the five books of Moses, probably the book of Job. Who knows exactly what they had. But the point is, is that the Bible that they had said, don't do this. The Bible they had said, don't let anyone come in except for the priest. The Bible they had said, only come in with blood once a year. The Bible they had said, only the priest could come in. Only the Levitical priest could come into the holy of a holy place, and only one Levitical priest, the high priest that year, could come into the Holy of Holies. And David takes all the priests, and he goes, I want you to go in here 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for 32 years. And they worship before God for 32 years, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and they made sounds of joy, which in Moses' temple, there was no sounds of joy. Did you notice all the instruments were around shouting and sounds of joy? which is a prototype of the New Testament church. Why did David get away with it? There's lots of ideas about why, but for sure, at least this reason, David looked into the New Testament. He looked into a season, a time that hadn't yet come. It says that David was a prophet who looked into the future, and he saw that God was actually calling for all the people to be priests before God. He wasn't like, Yes, he was disobeying the, the, the written word of the law. But he wasn't disobeying the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law was that all my people would be prophets. All my people would be priests. There would be a whole royal priesthood. The whole nation would be a holy nation. And David looks into that day, and he pulls that day into his day. And he says, listen, I know what it says right here in these first five books. I know what it says, but I've talked to God, and God told me, I want everybody to come in. This is after he killed Yuza. For, for, you know, this is like, how radical is this idea? That David just trying to get the ark. I don't know if you can feel what I'm feeling. Just trying to get the ark to the right place. They haven't even done anything that the Bible said not to do except for the way they carried it. And already a guy's dead. And David's like, i got to take a risk. we got to get the ark in there. And then God says, in the last days, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. I'll wall up its ruins. I'll raise up its breaches so that all mankind might seek the Lord. And how many of you know there's lots of different dimensions to this, but one dimension definitely is worship. That we would be a worshiping people and that as we, not just worship in the sense of something we do, but worship in the sense of this is who we are. We were created for worship. And as we worship God, and how many of you know, the devil wanted to be worshipped. And as we say, you know, the, the, the most powerful warfare in the world is worshiping God. What the devil wants when you give it to God, it's totally like, how many of you know, the high praises of God, with, with the high praises of God in our mouth, and a two-edged sword in our hand. We'll smite nations with vengeance and wrap kings in fetters of iron. 
People are like, how do you do warfare? You worship. Why? Because it's the one thing the devil wanted. And every time the devil tells me who I am, I tell him who God is. If I'm having a bad day, I'm just like, you know, you are a low-down scoundrel. You will never be anything. You know what? I don't know what I am. You could be right about that. But let me tell you who he is. He's amazing. He's the savior of the world. He's the bright morning star. He's the one who's dead, and now he's alive forevermore. He's the bread of life, the Lamb of God. He's the one who was crucified. He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And I just began to tell him that he's he's worthy of, uh, he's holy, he's powerful, he's almighty. And I started, then I'm like, where are you going? (laughs) What was it you were saying about me? I totally forgot. I mean, one way to to do warfare is to remind myself of who I am, but the most powerful way is to remind him who he is. And I began to just tell the devil, hey, do you know you probably forgot this? It's been a long time since you were Lucifer and all that. You got a name change. You went backwards. See, we get name changes. We go forward. Abram, Abraham, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul, Lucifer to devil. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're in a terrible digress. <laughs> you, you went from light bearer to accuser. Not took your place. You wanted to be like God. I am like God. You used to worship. I'm a worshiper. <laughs> I was born inherently to worship. I even have instruments built into me. I'm a living instrument to God. I got the five-fold ministry going on. I can dance. I can play music. How many know music is worship? I was born to sing. Can do all kinds of stuff that's worship. I can shout. I can sing. I can dance. Huh? I can leap in the air. And it goes on from there. Some of the things I do, I wouldn't even talk to you about. I was born to worship. Worship becomes a warship. You're having a bad day. I don't feel like it. Yeah, that's when it's really awesome. Because now you're definitely going to be led by the Spirit, not by the soul. You don't feel like it. There's a lot of people who don't feel like it. But it's funny. Sometimes when I don't feel like it, finally I do. Have you ever been there? You know, it's like school starts and we're going to do worship. And you're like, worship. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, I'm thinking about my rent I haven't paid. And we start to worship and suddenly I start to ascend to the hill of God. Start to enter into a new dimension a new way of thinking. Start lifting up holy hands and stop being mad about it and wondering what's going on and why I'm doing this and why I came here and what am I doing here anyway. And I don't even know what I'm doing here. My parents didn't want me to come here. My pastor didn't want me to come here. I don't even want to be here. Come to think of it, I paid money to do this. I could have done this for free. I could have listened to better music than this at home. And pretty soon I'm like raptured. I believe in rapture, by the way, many of them. And we just get up into the... Heavenlies, and we start to see things not as we were, but as we are. 
And we start to like worship from heavenly places instead of from earth to heaven. And suddenly, you know, we have these visitations and these people start circling us, cir- cir- circling. They start to fly, is what I'm saying. <laughs> fly around us. Um, they, you know, we, we are starting to lead them in worship. <laughs> I love, I can't tell what time it is. Oh, three minutes, I was supposed to be done three minutes ago. But when you're up in these heavenly places, you're in the eternal realms of heaven. These eternal realms where no one can go but the holy people of God. So, why don't you stand up? Jesus. Jesus is here. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I don't know if Jesus is here, but I think we are there. (laughs) This other dimension. The angels and all of that, you know? I don't even know. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm having some angels, helping some angels learn how to worship. They just have like a short song, holy, 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 you know, and we've written like lots of different ones. So, Lord, we just released right now. That was just a joke. You don't want to make your angel mad. Remember Jacob. So, Lord, we just... <laughs> be kind to your angel. Lord, we just pray... I got nice angels. Deborah sees my angels. She's like, they like you. I'm like, that's the way we want to keep it. I leave food out for them. Eat whatever you want. Put candy out for them and stuff. I don't know if they get that in heaven. You know, have to eat all that healthy like manna stuff. But when you come here, you can have candy. So Lord, we just pray. In Jesus' name, you would just release just a holy priesthood, a royal holy priesthood. (laughs) Holy, Lord, not their clothes. We just pray we would have holy hearts sold out for you, that everything we do, we would be a living sacrifice. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. (laughs) 